all this talk of travel with teams from Bosnia or Lansing and teams going to California and teams going to the DR, it reminds me of when my boys were little. You know, when they were little and we would travel and the whole... St- Some of you, you've got kids right now, like little kids, and you've done travel. Some of you used to have little kids. Raise your hand if that describes you. You either have the little ones now or you used to. All right. Most, not all of you, the rest of you can live vicariously through the story, right? Everyone else, you'll identify with this. So when we would travel, we would get the wee suitcase when they were wee boys, right? We would get just like, not the big suitcase. They didn't need the big one. They would get the little one, and we would show them, like, for, you know, put your socks in, your T-shirts, and, you know, all your clothes. Like, you got to get your clothes and how to pack it correctly. You don't just throw things in there. Inevitably, like, one of them will come up and be like, can I take my baseball bat? Nope, that baseball bat will not fit. Now, think about it. Your suitcase is this big. Your baseball, it's not going to fit. Maybe yours was like, can I take my Barbie dream house? You know, can I, can I take the dog? Nope, the dog can't go in there. And finally... You get the suitcase all packed, right? And you get it all zipped up, and you start to carry it to the door. And that's when that independent streak would hit them, right? You know what I'm talking about. When they would say, no, no, I do it. Isn't that what they would do? I do it. They want to take the suitcase to the front door. And so as a good parent, you're like, all right, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to cross my arms and do my head like this and say, well, let's see you do it then, biggin'. Like, let you just... You just get your, I do it on. Like, just go ahead and take it to the front door. And so what they would do is they put their mean on face. Like, you know, like where they wrinkle their nose up like this. They put their mean on, on, and they would go, and they would grab that handle with two hands. And you know what's coming when they do that. They're going to lift, and they're going to tuck, and they do it till their cheeks start to jiggle. You know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> like that face, you know? And they would, they would do that, and you're like, you're going to hurt yourself. you got to be careful. Like, I got I can't be doing that too much, right? So, so they, they, they start shaking, trying to lift it. And finally, and you knew it was coming, finally they put their hands up in the air. And they say, will you help me? You know, will you do it? And then they probably say, please, but it sounds more like please, right? And you're like, okay. I'll, but they ask you because you're the only one who can. Again, good morning, everyone. I'm Billy Creech. We're in this sermon series called Miss Red, where we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Take your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And what I love is Jesus teaches that we kind of have that exact same problem with God. There's so often times that we, ver- we either look at God like He can't solve some of our problems, He can't meet our needs, or We're just so self-sufficient. We just kind of want to say, I'll do it, God. Thank you very much. I'm not going to ask for help. I will do it. And so Jesus teaches that we need to expect good things from the Father. In fact, that's the big idea today. Expect good things from God. So in this sermon series, we've been in it for a few months now, we're talking about aligning our hearts with the heart of Jesus. Today's passage is the last section in the Sermon on the Mount before he enters into the conclusion. So up until this point, here's what's happened, if you've missed this at all. Jesus brought together the 12 disciples. This is his first ever public sermon. He says, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to mean. This is what it's going to look like. And he gives his teaching that's pretty tough, like it's some hard, hard teaching. And then chapter 7, verse 12 is where it kind of transitions and Jesus starts to move into the conclusion. But here's the hard teaching. Jesus says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, if you want to experience the kingdom of heaven here on earth, then it means this. Your righteousness 
has to surpass that of the Pharisees and that of the scribes. That's what it's going to look like. In chapter 5, verse 21, he starts out, he says this. He says, you're going to have to love your enemies. He says, you're going to have to forgive those who trespass against you, meaning those who have hurt you. Those who have done mean things against you, you have to forgive them. He says, when you perform your acts of righteousness, your, your spiritual acts, you should get alone and shut your door. And your father who's unseen will see those acts. You don't do it for the applause of man. You get alone and your father will, rewar will reward you in that place. He says it means that you're going to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. That we don't hypocritically judge others. And at the same time, you don't cast pearls before swine. And I'm just imagining in my mind that as Jesus is talking to the disciples and they're sitting next to him on that hillside, their mouths would be hanging open at this point. Think about what he said. If you want to inherit the kingdom, your righteousness has to surpass the very best that you've ever seen. And then he says, you're going to have to, let's just look at this one, love your enemies. Love your enemies. We're not even good at loving our wives. Like, how are we supposed to love our enemies, right? We're not good at loving our friends, right? We get in conflict with our friends all the time. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that stuff should be easy. I'm talking about one-upping this. You should love your enemies. So the disciples, no doubt, right about now, their eyes are big, their mouths are hanging open, and Jesus says, yeah, I know, on your own, this is going to be not just hard, this is going to be impossible, so you're going to need help. And so this passage today is so encouraging, because he says, in that place, you can go to God for the help that you need. That brings us to our first point today. Our first point is we need to dare to seek God's generosity. Dare to seek God's generosity. Let's pick up in verse number 7 this morning. Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open for you. Can I just say that when you become a follower of Jesus, you don't just magically have it all figured out. When you throw open the doors to your heart to say, Jesus, I want you as Lord and Savior, it's not now all of a sudden you have everything you need. You've got it all licked now. You've got this life thing figured out because you don't. So we need to pray because there's things we need. We need courage, don't we? We need courage to turn the other cheek when someone has wronged us. Courage to not retaliate. We need strength, strength to cut off sin areas in our life because otherwise we just do what we feel. Can I tell you the danger in that? When you do what you feel, you start to use Scripture in a very twisted way to try to justify your sin. Instead of cutting off the sin in your life, we need humility and self-awareness so we don't hypocritically judge others. What's the opposite of that? What's the opposite of self-awareness and humility? What would be pride, wouldn't it? Pride is puffed up. Pride is, is all about me. Pride is saying I don't need anyone or anything. We need to pray for faith. We need faith to trust that God knows our needs and that he'll supply them. I think what's hard, I think what's hard is um, we are kind of prideful, aren't we? Like, like, why would I, as your pastor, why would I be hesitant to say, like, hey, guys, my kidney stone really, really hurts, or my gout really, really, why, why would I be hesitant to ask you to pray? Well, it's pride, isn't it? Like, I struggle with it. And if I struggle with it, maybe it's something that you've struggled with at the same time. And Jesus says there's needs we have. And we can go to Heavenly Father. And when we go to Heavenly Father and He sees those needs, He's going to give 
those needs. Now, let me call time out and be very intentional because you maybe have heard from someone who has misread the words of Jesus before. And what they do is they will read this verse right here and they will say, hey, if you want that date with that guy or girl, just ask your heavenly father. He's going to send it to you. You know, you want that shiny car, jackpot Jesus, just pull the lever. You're going to get what you want. You know, you want that raise at work. We're going to get you a raise. You just pray. God's going to, because God wants you happy. Can I just say, if that's you, if you've ever heard that, you've misread the words of Jesus. Anytime you're reading scripture, church, it is so, so, so important. Don't just take a verse. Don't just take one verse and say that magically is going to be all my theology right there. You need to read what came before that verse. You need to read what comes after that verse so you have the full context. Here's the context. Jesus is talking on a hillside to 12 disciples about what it means to follow him. He says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. Your righteousness will surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes. That's what it's going to look like. In fact, so many of the things that I'm calling you to, that I'm, I'm telling you is so upside down from everything else you think in life, you're going to have needs to live this out. That's just so important. I think that oftentimes we have what's called prosperity gospel, which teaches something different. That brings us to the next part, which is anticipate receiving your request. Let's look at verse 8. Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. So it's, it's clear that in verses 7 and 8, the emphasis isn't as much on the challenge to pray, but it's on the promise that those prayers are going to be answered. And in verse 8, he doubles down on those promises. Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be opened. He says we can anticipate receiving that request. You know what I think Jesus knew? Jesus knew in this moment, this is the very first days of his three-year ministry, right? The very first days. I think Jesus knew this was not going to be easy for them. This is not going to be easy at all. Later in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Denying yourself, that's not easy, is it? Denying yourself isn't easy at all. Picking up your cross that's not easy. The road to Calvary for Jesus was not easy. But if you're a Christian, that means you're living out what it means to be Christ. So this will be our calling. And Jesus says, in that place of denying yourself, in that place of taking up your cross, you and I, we have needs. And we can go to God and pray for those needs. You know what we need? We need patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, don't we? We need we need joy. We need wisdom. We need compassion. We need humility. We need grace. We dare to speak as, speak as generosity and we anticipate receiving the request. Now, quick story that I love in Acts chapter 2. Jesus has already been crucified at that point. Jesus has already been placed in a tomb where he stayed for three days. He has conquered death and risen from the grave. Over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to no less than 500 eyewitnesses. Jesus ascends into heaven and then sends the Holy Spirit. That's the setting for Acts 2, right? This is where all of a sudden when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, that's when you have that day of Pentecost. There are now thousands. We went from 12 disciples on a hillside to thousands of believers. It's the birth 
of the early church at that point, right? You tracking, you with me? The three key leaders at that time, Peter, James, and John, they were the three closest to Jesus during his earthly ministry, Peter, James, and John. And at this point, moving into Acts 3, we find that two of the three have been arrested. Peter and John have been arrested. They've been put into prison. So just imagine, a brand new church, thousands of people who did not hear personally the words of Jesus. They didn't see him. They didn't sit with him on the hillside. They're trusting these leaders and these teachers. And now all of a sudden, two-thirds of them, they're in prison. Okay, that's, that's Peter and that's John. They're in prison, and they have to go before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the high court of the land. That's it's like saying going before you or I going before the Supreme Court, right? Same kind of a thing. So they're in front of the Sanhedrin, and um, I love this. I know I've shared this story before, but it never gets old to me. So Peter and John are there, and these guys from the Sanhedrin, they look down at them, and it says they saw that they were ordinary, unschooled men. They were just ordinary men. The word ordinary is translated from the Greek word idiotes. These two guys, I resonate so much with this. These two guys were just a bunch of idiots who had been with Jesus. Like, isn't that awesome? Like, that's what they said. They're looking at Peter. They're looking at John going, these guys are just a couple idiots, but they've been with Jesus. And finally, if you look down at verse 18, chapter 4, verse 18 of Acts, it says that they charged Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Okay, they've seen the resurrected Christ. So at that point, they're like, we can't help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. Like, how... How do we not talk about this? They were in prison just for preaching the gospel and declaring that Jesus had risen from the grave. And so the Sanhedrin's like, okay, if you want to be set free with no punishment, you've got to cease and desist. No more talking about Jesus. And they're like, I don't know how to stop talking about Jesus. We're going to talk about him. And then finally they're like, okay, we're going to let you free. No more of that. Right? They're like, cut it out. No more of that. So Peter and John, they get out of prison. What do they do? First thing they do is they go down the street to where the church has been meeting and praying for them. If you look at verse 24, they reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. So like, all right, you need to know. They told us, shh, like they told us that. And they said that we can't talk about Jesus anymore. And we can't talk about the resurrection anymore. And we told them like we have to talk about it. And so what did the church do? The church said, let's get together. This is powerful. They prayed. They got together and they prayed. They didn't pick it. They didn't write a blog. They didn't tweet. They didn't Facebook. They didn't do any of that. They got together and they, they prayed. And this is so challenging to me what they prayed. Look down at verse 29. This is awesome. Here's just a piece of the prayer. Luke gives us a lot more uh, in this prayer. But let's just look at this one part. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their hearts. That means the Sanhedrin, the the persecutors, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Let's talk about what they didn't pray. They didn't pray for safety, did they? I don't know if there's anything wrong with praying for safety. For Sarah, that's the, that's the wristband I have is for Sarah. I've been praying for safety for Sarah all week long, but that's not what they prayed for themselves. Talk about challenging. They prayed for boldness to keep sharing the gospel. They didn't pray for a boulder. 
Like they could have said, you know, the Sanhedrin, if a boulder, Lord, maybe that's not a prayer I'm allowed to pray for the boulder just to squish home. But now that you've heard it, you're God. You can do whatever you want. I mean, I just threw it out there, Lord. You be God. Like you can do what you want. But no, that's not what they prayed. They prayed for boldness. And what I love is we know for a fact that's what they were given. How do we know? Well, because Luke tells us that the gospel continued to multiply and continued to multiply and continued to multiply. At this time, there's a couple thousand believers in Jerusalem. But as it multiplies, it continues to go out from Jerusalem. All of a sudden, Paul comes along. That's another sermon for another day. And the gospel continues to advance. It continues to multiply to the point where by the end of Acts, where is the gospel message? The gospel message is all the way in Rome, which is the capital of the empire. Isn't that amazing? Here we are, fast forward thousands of years. There have been men and women just like you, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have prayed to their Heavenly Father for what we need, for boldness in sharing the gospel. They have prayed for that need. And the gospel continued to advance to where we have the truth right here in Southeast Michigan. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of prayer we need. I think sometimes we get our needs and our wants confused. That's what I think. I think that what we view as needs are really just desires. What we view as needs, oftentimes they're, they're wants. You know, we say like, I need my bracket to do better because yesterday was rough. Yesterday was bad. My bracket was annihilated and I used to be winning. And maybe you're going, I'm praying for corporate success. You know, I'm praying to do well in the marketplace. And so I just... I, I want to be clear, I'm not preaching a poverty gospel, saying that if you're poor, to be poor is to be holy, because that's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, in that first century, there were those who were doing well in the marketplace, and they were able to fund the expansion of the church. That's still continuing today. That's how this expansion for our campus is happening, because so many of you are doing well in the marketplace, and you're very faithful, and you're very generous with those funds. That's how that happens, right? It's also not a prosperity gospel, though. A prosperity gospel says God wants you healthy, and God wants you to have great jobs and lots and lots of money. In fact, if you have cancer, if you die of cancer, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Do you see how dangerous that is? How gross that is? That's not the gospel message. Here's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, you and I, we can go to him as our heavenly father. As our heavenly father, then we're kind of like the kids trying to pick up that piece of luggage with our cheeks shaking. And we get to go to that point of saying, Hey, Heavenly Fathers, your kids, we have some needs. And they're the kind of needs that only you can give. So I'm just wondering what kind of needs do you have this morning? So what are your needs? Maybe your needs are, are for boldness. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray today. It's for boldness because you're going, Easter's coming. I mean, I know it's snowy right now, but Easter is coming in just weeks, right? Easter's coming in just weeks. And in case you missed it, we have two Good Friday services. We have an Easter service on Saturday. We have three Easter services on Sunday. We have lots and lots of opportunities. Maybe you need to pray for boldness to walk next door to your neighbor and invite them to church. You've talked to them about sports. You've talked to them about cooking burgers on the grill. You've talked to them about everything, but you've never talked to them about your faith. Maybe your prayer needs to be for patience. You're looking, going, love my enemy. I can't even get along with my spouse right now. Maybe you need to pray for a God-anointed patience with people that you love and adore. 
You just need to pray for patience there. Maybe you need to pray for courage. Courage to cut the sin out of your life instead of coming up with excuses. But this is where we can go. And Jesus is giving us permission. He says, the calling that I'm giving is a high calling, but you're not alone in this. Be encouraged in this, that we, as his kids, can go to our Heavenly Father and ask, which brings us to our final point, that we can relate to God with a childlike trust. Let's pick up in verse 9. Verse 9 says, or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus invites us to seek God for what we need. Uh, says that you need to know this before you even ask. God's going to give that to you, that need to you. And then he reinforces it with this teaching, pointing out the relationship that we have as parents, even broken parents, with our kids. And what he says is, again, which one of you would give your child a stone if they asked for bread or a serpent if they asked for fish? The answer is, well, no, we don't do that. In fact, as parents, we love to give gifts, don't we? We love it. Watch parents at Christmas time. You know, at Christmas time, what we try to do, we try to act like we have our stuff together as parents and, you know, oh, no, we're so cool and refined. Make sure you put your trash in the black trash bag. You know, just take the wrapping paper, black trash bag. Inside, though, we're including you in this because we're like, the good one's coming. The good one's coming. They're going to love it. They're going to like these going, Oh, they're going crazy. Like, we get so excited, don't we? Maybe you don't act like it externally. Maybe you keep it locked down, but it's going on inside. We love to give gifts. But did you see what Jesus said? He said, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. I, okay, I did, this was planned months and months and months ago, just so you know. We didn't sculpt this particular sermon after watching the news. But you have watched the news, haven't you? You have seen how there are parents who have said, I want to give such good gifts to my children. I'm willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm going to pay a million dollars to get them into the college that they want to go to. Even if we have to lie, even if we have to cheat, even if we have to be unethical, I, I want to give good gifts to my kids. Jesus says, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. And, and so Jesus kind of goes to this place. If that's where we as broken people go to, if we go to this place of saying, even as broken people, we want our kids to have good gifts, Jesus says, how much more then? How much more does your heavenly Father, who's perfect, who's holy, who's mighty, who's majestic, how much more does he want to pour out good gifts to us, those gifts that we need? But you did hear where it starts, right? Heavenly Father, for that to happen, it means that you have to have come to a place where you recognize him as heavenly Father. Have you ever done that? Have you ever placed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? See, I think some of you may be in this room. The reality is for some of you, you're going, well, I'm kind of on the fence. You know, I don't, I don't really know if Jesus is Lord of my life. Just so you know, if you say that, I don't know, K-N-O-W, what you're really saying is N-O. No, Jesus is not Lord of my life. Because it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens because you're very intentional with a decision. I want you to know the truth this morning. The truth is that God loves you. A holy and an awesome God 
loves you. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. God loves you. The problem is that you've sinned. I have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's a penalty for sin. It says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from a holy God. And those of you who have never placed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you know that separation because you feel it right in the guts of who you are right now. There is a void that's there, isn't there? And you've tried all kinds of ways to fill that void. You've tried to be good. You've tried, maybe I can just say magic prayers and I'll get it in the right order. I'll maybe read the Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll get better jobs. I'll go to church. I'll, we try all kinds of things to fill that void. Nothing does, though, does it? Nothing fills that void. That's why Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life. He paid the penalty for that sin on the cross. That's why Jesus went to the cross, was to pay the penalty that we were supposed to pay. They placed him on a tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and walked out of that tomb. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. Let me go back. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we don't have kings and queens in the States. But Lord, Lord means you're my master, my commander. Lord means everything I am, every, everything I possess, everything I'm going to be, it's, it's yours. Like I, I stop, you start. This is all about you. Make Jesus Lord of your life. For some of you, that needs to happen today. Today is the perfect day to stop sitting on the fence. Today is the perfect day to say, Lord, I believe. We bow your heads as we pray. First, I want to talk to um, the other group. Some of you just need to think about that for a second. I know most of the people in this room, you've already made that decision. You already are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. Yet, for you, as I was talking, you thought to yourself, you know what, I do have some needs. I do have some areas of my life where I'm not patient. Lord, I need some patience. I have this bitterness in my heart where I haven't forgiven this person. I need the Lord to help me to be able to forgive. I've got some anger that I, I don't know what to do with. Lord, I need you. Kind of shy sometimes when it comes to my faith. I need the Lord's boldness. You know, money is such a funny thing for me. I I grew up without a lot of it, and so it's always been a driving factor that I'd never live like I grew up. And for you, you just you need the Lord to step in and help you learn how to be generous. So if you know that you have some needs in your life, I just want to pray a prayer of encouragement over you. Will you just raise your hand straight up? Just say, Lord, I need your help this morning. Go ahead and raise it up. Brothers and sisters in Christ all around the room, hands are up. Lord, we do thank you for today. We praise you for who you are, for the work that you're doing in this church, for the work that you're doing in us. Lord, we need you. I, I need you, Lord. I need you because it's so easy for pride to sneak in. 
so easy to try to do it on our own, but Lord, we can't do it on our own. We need you. Help us to live the fruit of the Spirit. Give us peace, patience, kindness. Lord, let us be gentle. Give us some self-control. Give us joy. The kind of joy that says no matter what the good is, no matter what the bad is, there's a joy that nothing can take away. Lord, I know that all the brothers and sisters who raised their hands just then, we've all got different needs. And so I pray for this space this morning that as prayers are going up to you, not only do you hear, but we thank you for the way that you so greatly provide this morning. Now with heads still bowed, um, that other group, let me go back to you. There are some of you that right now, right in this moment, is the moment that you need to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want you to know there's no tricks to it. You don't have to walk down front. It's a place of surrender right now between you and the Lord. And so if you don't even know what to pray, I'll pray, but you, you don't need my prayers. You don't need my words. There's no special order to them. It's just you surrendering everything to Christ in this moment. If you need to pray with me, just come to that place of saying, God, I believe. I believe that you love me. Lord, I know that I've messed up. I've sinned. I've fallen short of perfection. I thank you for sending Jesus. I believe Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. I believe he paid the price on the cross for my sins, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was placed in that tomb for three days, and on that third day he conquered death and rose again. I believe. I'm placing my faith and my trust in that truth. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for making me a new creation and give me a right standing with God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Church, before we sing this final song this morning, I uh, just want to say thank you. It, um, it's such a joy to be your pastor. It's such a joy to serve alongside of you. This morning I was reminded in a pretty powerful way, there are churches, a lot of churches at this morning as they meet, they're distracted with other issues. And it's just um, pretty awesome that we can come in this place and be free to open the Word of God and to struggle through it together, amen? Like, I mean, it's, it's taken some work. This is not easy stuff, but together we can continue down this journey toward Christ-likeness. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to, um, to be part of this family together. It is such a joy to watch how you serve, to watch your generosity, to watch how you love and, and minister to each other, to watch the way that we worship together. I just want to say thank you. This morning, let's close by standing together and worshiping.